0: Who died for us on the cross to obtain that victory? This has been a tough week. It's been a shameful week for so many, Uh, for us, for us as a nation, as we uh, looked on the television screen and seeing the behavior of some of those who are called the leaders of our land, the halls of Congress. You know, this week has exposed so much of what would seem to be the corruption and the, the the lust for power. And what men will do in order to gain that power, you know it this week has exposed, as it were, what is really inside. the facade is gone, you know now. there was a story that uh, I read when I was uh, studying uh, for this message this morning. And uh, it was uh, a story that was in the Washington Post about 25 years ago. And uh, it reported uh, an elderly woman uh, Adele Gabori who turned up missing uh, four years previous. And concerned, uh, there were concerned neighbors of course there in Worcester, Massachusetts. And they informed the police and uh, a brother told the police that she had gone to live in a nursing home. Well, satisfied with that information, uh, Galsbury's neighbors began watching her property. And Michael Crowley noticed that her mail delivered through a slot in the door was piling high. And when he opened the door hundreds of pieces of mail just drifted out. Well he notified the police and the deliveries were stopped. Well Gabor's next door neighbor Eileen Dugan started paying her grandson $10 twice a month to to mow uh, Ms. Gabor, uh, Gabor's lawn. Well later Dugan's son noticed Gabor's pipes had frozen spilling water out of the door. Well the utility company was called in, to shut off the water but no one guessed what was uh, what um, was that? Uh, while they were, had been trying to help, uh, had been going on inside her home. When uh, police finally investigated the house uh, uh, as a health hazard, they were shocked to find her body. Well, they um, uh, the uh, on the report, the police uh, reported that police now believe that uh, Ms. Gabori died of natural causes uh, some four years previous the uh It seems that the respectable you know external appearance of Ms. Gabor's house had hidden the reality of what was inside you know it it uh, goes to um, that uh, that old uh, saying that uh, that uh, you can't judge a book by its cover, can you it uh, kind of uh, fits along with that. but you know what? Similar things can happen to people, in fact do happen to people. We may appear outwardly proper while inside it's spiritual deadness. Jesus even spoke to that. He said calling these Pharisees, the Pharisees those who were like whitewashed tombs with dead men's bones inside. But all sorts of religious activity may be happening outside while the real problem is missed. Spiritual death on the inside. We need life, not a tidy facade. (laughs) So this morning I'd like for us to focus on the way in which the Scriptures address this and how uh, the Holy Spirit has made such a difference between death and life. Turn with me if you will to the 8th chapter of Romans. And uh, we're going to read verses 5-13 through this morning. Uh, You have your Bibles open, stand with me as we read together in this passage. The Apostle writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, "...for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit." "...for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ... He is not His. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Heavenly Father, this morning as we examine uh, this passage and as you speak to us, Father, by your Spirit, we're praying, Father, that that we might uh, uh, come to grips with this reality, Lord, that it is the Spirit within us who gives us life. No matter how we act, no matter what we do or say, there is nothing that can enable us to please You. And so Father, as we read, as we speak, Father may Your Holy Spirit attend our hearts, and Lord may Your will be accomplished this morning. For we ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. In the verses that we've read this morning, the Apostle Paul writes about the differences, the differences of the spirit life. It's, I tell you folks, this passage of Scripture, in my estimation, I think it is one of the most profound, it's the, the greatest and most important passage of Scripture in all of the Bible. I say that because it addresses the matter of the spirit and the mind. The Bible is clear. In its teaching you see that how a man thinks determines what manner of man he really is. Just as Proverbs 23 verse 7 says for as a man thinketh in his heart so is he. Why? Now the mind is such an important thing. It is critical. Whatever a man focuses his mind upon is what that man produces in his life. Right? Right. Ah, the evil think evil thoughts and produce evil actions. Think godly thoughts and produce godly action. That's why the Word of God is so clear when it speaks about the change that is needed in the minds of men. Notice Romans chapter 12, verse 2 And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And again in Philippians 2 verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Folks, the changes that the Spirit produces in the mind and the resulting changes in every area of life are what we are focusing on this morning here in this passage. Now by the way, if these differences are apparent in your life then they ought to serve to give you assurance of your salvation. If not, Well, we'll see. I want us to look at three things about this passage here as we uh, focus upon the uh, differences of the spirit life. The first is a difference in the mind of the believer in verses 5-7. through Notice what Paul says in verse 5 when he speaks, when he says, uh, when we see that the desires of the mind are changed there in verse 5. He says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. The first thing that's addressed here in this passage is the contrast that exists between the natural mind of man and a mind that has been transformed by the Spirit of God. The whole idea here. Is that the natural bent or the orientation of the natural man's thinking is always directed toward the things that pertain to the flesh? You got that. In other words, the carnal mind focuses on the physical, material, and other selfish concerns. Now, it may even think about religion, all right, but it will be a religion based on what he can do for himself. There may be thoughts about God, but That will be thoughts about how to approach God on his own terms. Folks, generally, you know, the the carnal mind is filled with thoughts that center around ways to gratify the flesh. Of course, this is what the Bible teaches us about the lost man and his mindset in there in 2 Peter 2, verse 10, where Peter says, and especially those who walk according to the flesh. In the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. And then again in Philippians 3, verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. But listen, folks what a change is manifested in the lives of those who have been redeemed you know while the saved you know do falter from time to time no one can say that he does not sin their minds are filled with thoughts of heavenly things these are people who love god and all the things that pertain to him they love his word they love his people they love his house they love his his worship and the spirit of god redirects the thinking of those that have been redeemed by the blood of jesus amen all right a good question then to ask ourselves at this point is of what character are the thoughts that fill our minds? Depending upon how we answer that question we can learn a lot about ourselves. So not only are the uh, uh, the desires of the mind changed but also the directions of the mind are changed. There in verse 6 Paul says, in this verse, to be, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Listen, folks. Paul's stating a fact here. Okay, a fact. This is not. Uh, uh, if you have a carnal mind, that is a mind that's focused on things pertaining to the flesh. It's a fact. You were dead. You were dead. He's not talking about a potential or something that might happen to you. He's, made, he's stating here an equation. To have a carnal mind means that you are lost and you are dead. Look at Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three. "And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins? in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. Hmm. You know, some years ago I was uh, at Baptist Hospital in Winston-Salem. And uh, in, I was in the emergency room with a family of a baby girl who had been killed in an automobile accident. Well after the baby had been pronounced dead the mother kept taking the this little lifeless form uh, into her arms and caressing her and crying softly to her. The baby, of course, could no longer respond to anything in the physical realm because there was no life there to respond. You see, the unsaved person is a spiritual corpse. And that corpse cannot respond, is completely unable in himself to respond to the things of God. You see unless the Holy Spirit intervenes by convicting him of sin and enabling him to respond to God by faith and thus being made alive, that unsaved person is insensitive to the things of God as that baby was to the caresses and cries of its mother. No matter how much an unbeliever an unsaved person, may claim to honor, worship, and love God, he is God's enemy. Make no doubt about it. It's a truth that Paul has already pointed out here in his letter. However, to have a mind that is focused on God and the things above is to prove that you are indeed saved by grace and walking in the Spirit of God. You see it's a genuine indicator of the state of the soul. Colossians 3 verses 1-4 through says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Amen. Amen. Now listen, while the the primary focus maybe in this verse might be on the here and now, there is still a future that is in view here that we need to see. Because to possess a carnal mind means that you are lost in sin and will eventually find yourself in hell forever separated from God. On the other hand, to be controlled by the Spirit is the evidence of of an eternity that will be filled with life and peace in the presence of the Lord in Heaven someday. Praise God. So not only are the uh, uh, is the mind, uh, the things of the mind filled what I want to say here, the uh, devotions, the desires of the mind are changed. Not only are the directions of the mind changed, but also the devotions of the mind are changed. In verse 7 the Scripture says here, "...because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be." What the Scripture is telling us here is that the carnal mind is really the enemy of God. Now why is this true? Well it's because the carnal mind desires to be God. It is bent on the overthrow of God and is determined to enthrone itself as God in the unbeliever's life. As a result it refuses to walk in the will of God. In truth you see the carnal mind is so filled with evil that it cannot walk in the will of God. The lost carnal mind is totally opposed to everything having to do with God. Now, what might appear good in the life of a lost person is still tainted by sin, the sin that is in his heart. His motives and his sin tarnish all that he does. Even on his best day, you see, he is still God's rival and God's sworn enemy. The spiritual mind, or the mind of the saved person, though, finds itself drawn away from the things which please the flesh and is drawn toward the things which please the Lord. Now what the flesh, in other words, what the flesh cannot produce in us, the Holy Spirit does produce. Folks, the saint of God finds that he can live a life that is pleasing to the Lord and that he can produce good by the power of the Spirit of God. That's a joy. That's something that should make us shout praise to God. What a difference! What a Savior who has accomplished those things in us! What a change He has wrought in our life! Now this isn't to say that the, the believer has been absolutely perfected, you know, But you know when when Paul refers to the sin of the believer he is quick to point out here that sin occurs in the sinful mortal body and not within the redeemed new inner nature. You just read chapter 7 go back and read uh, uh, verses 15-25 through in chapter 7 and you'll see the struggle which the Apostle Paul spoke to there in this regard here. You see, when we were saved, there was a part of us that was sealed off forever. As he writes in Ephesians, you know, uh, we also were included with him because when we heard the word of truth, that we were sealed by the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of God's people. So our spirits were sealed against sin and are incapable of of sinning any longer. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 Paul says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Our flesh though is a different story. Our flesh is as evil as it has ever been simply because we profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior doesn't mean our flesh has been sanctified because it has not. And we must continue to do battle with the flesh from now until the Lord comes back, until we are freed by death. The believer will not be free from the flesh until we go home to be with the Lord. But while we are here, folks, while we are here, we must fight. We must fight. The fight is real, it is a fight that we will have been, that we are, and have been empowered to win. The flesh is strong but the spirit of God within us is stronger still. Now look at 1 John chapter 4 verse 4. There John writes, he said, "You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world." Amen. Hey. Therefore, you see, we it is up to us This is something we have to do. We have to prove the reality of our claims of salvation by living a life that is devoted to the Lord God and His perfect will. When you think about what Paul has already said about the changes that happen in the mind of one that has been saved by grace, how does your life look? How does your life look to you this morning? Not only then, is there a difference in the mind of the believer? There's also a difference in the motives of the believer. Verse uh, verse eight tells us that there is a charge against the flesh life. There is a charge against the flesh life. We've already touched on that, uh, on what is clearly stated here in this verse. You know those that are controlled by the flesh, who live for the flesh, who walk in the flesh, and have their minds centered on the flesh, simply cannot please the Lord God. They are so far removed from all that God is that they cannot possibly please Him. But according to the Scriptures, the only way to please the Lord is by exercising faith. Faith. Matthew, Hebrews eleven six says, "But without faith." it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You see faith is one element of the fruit of the Spirit and is evidence that the Spirit is in residence in the life of the believer. All this means is that what the Spirit produced in man cannot be duplicated in the flesh. All right since the spirit cannot produce what is that which is uh, since excuse me since the flesh cannot produce that which is spiritual it stands to reason that the flesh cannot please the lord now not only is there a charge against the flesh life but there's also a change that is apparent in the spirit life in verse 9 there notice what the scripture says here in verse 9 But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not His. You must, when we came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when we gave our lives over to Him, when we surrendered to Him, the Spirit of God entered into our life into our hearts and our minds, and we, are for, we were forever redeemed, Amen. saved. Now, therefore we are now placed in a position from which we can serve the Lord and live lives that are pleasing to Him. It's sad when you see those people who Especially when they are going through some kind of trial. They think God is punishing them. That God is displeased with them. And perhaps it is a sign you know, that they are uh, lost. Maybe they are. But trials come upon every single one of us. And James says, it's, James says, count it all joy when you enter into various trials. You know, now that doesn't mean that you know when you're out in, in uh, uh, equatorial Africa or some place like that serving. You know, and you're in the in some kind of ditch and you're you're shoveling out uh, stuff. You know, from the uh, from the villages and so forth, trying to help them uh, reconstitute stuff. That you're sitting there, praise the Lord for every shovelful. You know, I mean that's not necessarily what we do we praise God for the opportunity to serve Him in spite of what the trials are that we must face. The trials become the evidence that we are in the Spirit of God. You know while this verse 9 speaks uh, to the new life that the believer should live in Jesus. It's also a reminder to us that we receive the Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion. Now this is contrary to what uh, uh, many groups will say today. But listen folks, if you don't have the Holy Spirit you don't belong to Him. That is why we are counseled to put our faith to the test to be sure we are children of God. God is always testing us. And His testing doesn't come when we are warned and when we are ready. I mean anyone could pass the test sometimes that we face if we know they are coming, right? But God's tests catch us unprepared, off guard, when we are least expecting it. Things happen. It's when we are confronted with some simple situation uh, that no one will know about that the test of life really comes it's when you're relaxing at home and the phone rings and suddenly you're confronted with a call for help or a demand for a response. And you had plan, you planned to relax and enjoy yourself all afternoon. But what happens then? That's the test. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 says, Examine yourselves as to whether or n- you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? unless indeed you are disqualified. If you are saved, folks, if you are saved, you possess the Holy Spirit, the key to becoming that person who is pleasing to the Lord is allowing the Holy Spirit to possess more of you. And then the third uh, difference uh, that I wanted to point out today in this passage is A difference in the members of the believer, verses 10 through 13. You see, the Spirit of God changes how we think, He changes how we're driven as we go through life. But these verses right here go on to tell you that He changes how we act. He changes how we act, our behavior. That's the focus of this particular section right here, verses 10 through 13. And first thing is a change in our members. Okay, uh, this this uh, I want to say this was um, uh, omitted in your outline inadvertently, and that's my fault. Sharon does a marvelous job in putting this stuff together, and we appreciate that very much. Okay, so uh, I had inadvertently left out that. So the first one in your uh, outline under number three here is a change in our members. These two verses fit together here to teach us. That when the Spirit of God moves into our spirit, He will produce changes in a way that our body acts. We respond. Anyone who claims Jesus as his or her Savior yet uh, doesn't manifest any changes in the way they live life, very well are not saved at all. That's not to say that believers don't sin. I think it's clear that we do. However, if salvation is a reality there will be a new desire to honor God by the way we live our life and when we do fail there will be such a sense of sadness and remorse that it will drive the child of God to repentance before the Lord. If you don't feel that remorse then you may need to question your salvation. 1 John 1-9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what the Scripture is trying to teach us here is the fact that the Spirit of God will make us to become vastly different than we are by nature. It is not natural for us to be transformed in this fashion. We cannot do it. It takes the Spirit of God to transform our nature. Our flesh will flee the things that it used to run to and will seek to seek after the things that it used to turn away from or to shun. The Holy Spirit will produce the life of Christ in the life of the child of God which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Praise God. And then not only is there a a change in our members, but there is a challenge also to our members. Verse 12, Paul writes, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. What does he mean by that? Well, It reminds us that we are not obligated to live after the flesh any longer. We don't have to follow after those old desires, those old uh, habits, ways of thinking and doing things, the ways that our friends and co-workers and so forth used to think and which we lived among for so long. Now we have a new way. The Spirit of God has given us a new mind in Christ and new ways of thinking the um, if we in fact <laughs> in fact you know it, it should be very difficult for us to revert to that if the Spirit of God has moved into our heart and mind and changed our attitudes, because you see the, the we are dead to the flesh now and alive to the Spirit of God. if we wish to discharge a debt. Let it be the debt that we owe to Christ for the price that He paid to deliver us from our sins. Therefore, let's live for the Lord who suffered for us and died for us on the cross. Amen. You see our flesh hasn't done anything but condemn us. We don't owe the flesh anything the debt we owe is to the Spirit of God. Let's honor Him by living the kind of life that brings honor to Him. It's a challenge that we can all live up to. And finally, want to in verse 13 we find the Scripture issues to us a caution here, a warning. Verse 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Mm. You see, even though we're saved, we still have the potential to live after the flesh. Anyone who tells you that a Christian cannot sin is a liar. No. I think the Bible's clear that we're just as capable of committing sin as we ever have been. First John chapter 1 verses 8-10 through says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. But listen folks, we must be aware that living substandard Christian lives brings with it death, all right? Death. Listen listen for a moment now. We cannot go to hell, all right? But we can feel the chastening hand of our Heavenly Father upon us. When we step off the path, when we turn away from God, He is quick just like that to remind us. And sometimes it's going to be in ways that we find maybe pretty harsh or pretty difficult. When we're undergoing that kind of chastening it's a time for examination of our life to see where we need to go back to, how we need to step back onto the path that we were walking before. But because we have the Spirit of God living within us we have the power, folks. We have the power to mortify the, the, our, or to put to death those deeds of the flesh. If we do this, we can be sure, assured of living lives that bring honor to God. Ours will be lives that will please God. They'll be lives that will show a lost and dying world that Jesus Christ does indeed make a difference in every life that He touches by His great power. If we live these lives, we'll be blessed. And we'll prove... Exhibit the characteristics of life. The proof, you know, as they say, is in the pudding. All right? A life that is touched and changed by Jesus will be a life that lives a new kind of life. If there is no change, there has been no conversion. When Jesus, you see, when he moves into a life, everything changes. Before uh, his novels, uh, the firm Pelican Brief and The Client had uh, catapulted John Grisham uh, to the status of uh, commercial supernova. That's what Newsweek called him. Okay. He was an unknown small-town lawyer. And yet today with all the notoriety, Grisham makes a concerted effort to focus on things that matter. Things that have lasting meaning including his faith in God. Today Grissom remembers as uh, a young law student the remarkable advice of a friend. He said, one of my best friends in college died when he was 25 just a few years after we graduated from Mississippi State University. I was in law school And he called me one day and wanted to get together. So we had lunch and he told me he had cancer. I couldn't believe it. What do you do when you realize that you're about to die? He said it's simple. You get things right with God and you spend as much time with those you love as you can and then you settle up with everybody else. And then finally he said, you know, really, you ought to live life every day like you only have a few more days to live. Amen? Oh my. We don't know the space of our lives, the span of our lives, how we're going to live. We don't know if we're going to take another breath tomorrow or even tonight. It's simply not given to us to know or to understand. And perhaps it's a good thing you see. Because it's meant to keep us alert, to keep us aware. That's why I love that passage, Psalm 90. Uh, uh, I always use it, I always read it at funerals. Because funerals are a time when people are brought, are reminded of death, okay? We get so busy in our lives every day that we don't think about death very much. Some never. Let me tell you something. John Bailey was flying from Chicago to the city of Los Angeles and he engaged the woman sitting next to him in a conversation. She was a little over 40, well dressed, uh, and quite articulate. He asked her, he says, where are you from? And she said, from Palm Springs. Well knowing Palm Springs to be a city of the rich and famous he asked, what's Palm Springs like? Well being perceptive she answered, Palm Springs is a beautiful place. Filled with unhappy people. Taking advantage of the occasion he pressed the question. He says, are you unhappy? She said, yes, I certainly am. Why? She said, I can answer it in one word and that word is mortality. Until I was 40 I had perfect eyesight. Shortly after I went to the doctor because I couldn't see as well as I could before. Well ever since that time these corrective glasses have been a sign to me that not only are my eyes wearing out but I'm wearing out. Someday I'm going to die. I really haven't been happy since that time. You see the mind, the carnal mind is so focused on the pleasures of this life. On what it can do to uh, to gain all the pleasure and all the the success and achievement that, and the approval of, of your co-workers and of the world and, and to make your mark in this world and so forth. But yet all the things that are accomplished, all the pleasures, all those things, they're so fleeting. They pass away. And you're left empty. Well I want to say something to you, anyone here, if you're here today and you have yet to enter into that life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ if you don't know Christ, if you haven't surrendered your life to Him, called Him your Savior and Lord then this is a situation that you're in. You have to face, you're going to have to face your mortality sooner or later. Now, if you think that it's worth the risk to, take, uh, to continue seeking after the pleasures of this life and wait until the last moment, well, so be it. But that risk is not worth what is at stake. Because you could lose your life at any time. I'm not going to go saying you could walk out the door and get hit by a big back, or get hit by a back truck. (laughs) Big Mac. (laughs) Some of us have too many of those, right? And it's working on this right here. Yeah. But you see, the point is that you want every day of your life to count as much as you can make it so. And it can count by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because until that time, until the Holy Spirit enters into your life, everything that you do, every single day, every single year, all the accomplishments add up to zero. Zero. And then one day you're going to stand before that great white throne. And the question is going to come to you why? Why did you refuse? I don't know what your answer is going to be. For there is no answer really. We'll stand, you will stand speechless before that great white throne. But today you have an opportunity. You may be thinking that you will be giving up too much. But I want to tell you you will be giving up nothing. As the Apostle Paul said in uh, his uh, uh, letter uh, to uh, God's people. He he said, in in the letter to the Philippians, he said, you know, I was at the top of my uh, uh, group. You know, in as a Pharisee, I was uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I had accomplishments. I have worked for the chief priest and all this kind of stuff. I had prestige. He said, but you know what? After when I came to know Jesus Christ, it was it all became nothing. Nothing compared to what I had obtained through faith in Jesus Christ. He said, Now I pursue. I work with every fiber of my being to reach that goal, to know the resurrection of my Lord Jesus Christ, to experience his sufferings to the fullest, in order that when he comes, when I meet him, that I may not have lived in vain. That's what it is. That's where we find our meaning. That's where we make our mark. And I'm encouraging you today, my friend, to step forward and make your life count today, right now. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation here in just a moment. And as we sing, you're invited to just step out and come down. I'll be glad to stand with you here, talk and pray with you, and to uh, as we uh, talk together about life in Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're here and, and uh, you have yet to find a church home and you've been visiting. Well, I want to tell you there's no time like the present. You're here because God brought you here. You understand that? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ you don't wander around. You shouldn't be wandering around. You're searching. You're searching for the place God wants you. And I believe it's right here. You're invited to come. Will you do that? As we sing this hymn of invitation, come join us. Tell us that you want to join with the folks here, this family at Thamesville Baptist Church and we'll gladly receive you. Will you come as we stand and sing?